So I'm going to start with uh, one of my favourite quotes uh, from a favourite author. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a satnav is not in need of a wife. Now, I may have tweaked Jane Austen's famous line from Pride and Prejudice just a little bit, but the truth remains the majority, and I say not all, but the majority of men do not enjoy taking directions. They'll have a sat-nav, but they will not ask for directions. Can we just have a show of hands in the men, of the men in the room? Who does not like asking for directions? Oh, it's not as much as I thought, but there is still a good chunk of people. You're just honest. Okay, everyone else is in denial. (laughs) Women too, women too. Let's not be sexist. But um, (laughs) it all starts with a question. You know, where are we? And that question can lead to one of two answers. I have absolutely no idea, which is normally the case in our car. Um, When Chris asks the question, where are we? I'm like, oh, I have no idea. Um... Or it can be the other answer, which is, I have a rough idea. I I know where we're going, but maybe they're just not quite sure how to get to where we need to go. And that can often lead to a signpost. And that signpost can maybe be a person, you know, somebody who we've plucked up the courage to ask for directions from. Or it could be a motorway sign or a sign on the road, which, let's be honest, on a long journey is kind of like a glass of cold milk with a vindaloo curry. It's an absolute lifesaver. When we see that signpost, it gives us the directions. We're like, yes, we're on the right track. And hopefully, with that signpost, we can have the directions to our destination with not too many tantrums, without too many tears, and hopefully without any speeding fines. And you may be wondering, what does all this have to do with the Bible? Well, as we get into uh, our passage today, we're in Mark's Gospel, again, in the series, The King and His Cross. And we're in one of, uh, probably one of the most famous parables, uh, the parable of the sower. And it's a parable that um, most people know. We hear it in church, and we also hear it out of church, maybe it's at school as well. Um, but it offers uh, three things. It offers a question. It offers a signpost, and it also offers directions. And so we're going to look at those three elements this morning of this passage. So Mark chapter 4, verse 1 to 20. Um, I'm going to ask George Turner, who has returned from university for a little bit. If you need a Bible, can you just pop your hand up and George will uh, hand one out to you. So far, nobody. Anyone need a Bible? Oh, yep at the back. If you don't have a Bible, please take this as our gift to you. Um, Take it home, read it, enjoy it. All right, it's going to come up on the screen as well. Just going to grab a drink. So, the parable of the sower. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered round him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out in it on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge he taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said listen a farmer went out to sow his seed as he was scattering the seed some of it fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow but when the sun came up the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they could not bear grain. Still, other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying thirty, some sixty, some a hundred times. 
Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything said in parables is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and take away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed on rocky places, hear the word at once, receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among the thorns, hear the word, but the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. And others, the seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times that what was sown. Amen. So, what are we looking at here? And I think I want to kind of frame this parable before I ask the question. And like any good map or any good book, there is a key to understanding what is on the pages of that book. And it is widely acknowledged that the seed represents the gospel truth, the message of salvation, the message of Jesus. And so that means that the sower is the one preaching or sharing the gospel. And that doesn't necessarily mean somebody just here on a stage, but that means all of us, that's whoever is witnessing, sharing the gospel truth, sharing who Jesus is. And it also can be described as God, God sowing the seed, God sowing his love um, onto, uh, onto the farm. And so that way people can accept God, uh, whether they want to or whether they, not, whether they don't. And finally, the soil represents the person or the people receiving the message. And that can be a Christian or it can not be a Christian, but the soil often represents the person. And to give context to the question as well before we ask it, Jesus used parables to help people to understand the truths of the kingdom of God. And it's a truth that he didn't actually make very plain sailing often. And we'll go into that in a little bit in the next point. But there's just a few things to draw to attention now. Jesus wanted the crowds at, the po- at that point in time, and, and those of us reading it now, so those of us sat right here, to approach these parables with a seriousness, to approach them with a persistence, and to approach them using perception, using awareness. When I was um, younger, some of you may know, I used to swim. And uh, I I started off swimming at a very early age, like five, six. And um, from that get-go, we were taught to have goals. And that has kind of given me good things and bad things in my life, a high expectation. Um, But we were taught to have goals. And so at an early age, we were really excited to be part of age groups, which meant that at age nine, we could start competing for medals. And so we were really, really excited. So we were kind of going on that trajectory. And then when we got to age groups, we started competing at county level. And uh, we started going up and down the county. And it became a family affair. And everyone was involved. We started to take it very seriously 
and uh, that's when kind of the swimming costumes came in and all the different goggles and literally everyone in the swimming club had more swimming gear than they had clothes and um, uh, it kind of got to the point where we got so excited about new goggles coming out which was a little bit sad but that was kind of how serious we took it and we'd be all comparing different things that we had and then kind of when we got to our mid-teens for some of us we were competing at national level and so we were really aiming for like commonwealth and for some they were aiming for olympics and we're getting into olympic trials and so we were like taking this very very seriously and so at that point a persistence had to kick in because we had to start doing the 5 a.m. morning trainings and we had to be doing training kind of six, seven times a week in the evening and going to competitions at weekends and we had all the kit, we had heart rate monitors and we had nutrition plans and we had all of these things and it was a big deal because we had a goal, we had a destination that we wanted to get to. Most of us was to nationals, others to commonwealth and others to Olympics and so that was a really big thing for us and so we had to take it seriously and we had to be persistent and one of the things that we used to do which is a little bit weird now that I think about it but we used to film ourselves and so we would get you know somebody would be there with the camera and it would all be checked out it was all fine but somebody would be there with the camera and we'd have to watch it back and like assess our stroke rate and all of these different things but all of it was because we had a destination that we wanted to get to and we wanted to improve ourselves and make sure that we could be the best that we could be and when you think about swimming, normally you just think, well, you whap a cozy on, you put some goggles on, you get in the pool, and you get from A to B as quick as possible. But the reality is, in whatever discipline it is, you, if you have a destination in mind, you want to take it seriously. You want to be persistent, and you want to be assessing how you're getting on in order that you can get better. And I believe that that's a little bit about what Jesus is saying to us in this passage and consequently in quite a lot of the rest of the parables. Are we serious about what he is saying to us? At the time, you know, people were coming out in their droves to see Jesus. It wasn't uncommon for, um, you know, Jesus to have loads and loads of people at his feet, you know, listening to his stories, listening to his parables. And yet... A lot of them missed the point. <laughs> you know, they were coming out because they wanted to hear him, yes, but they also were coming out because they knew that he would heal them and he would cast out demons and he would heal the sick and he would set people free. But what Jesus is saying in verse 3, he says, listen, listen, you have to take this seriously. This isn't just a show. This isn't just storytelling. This isn't just me clicking my fingers and making everything better. There's something really important for you to grasp here. Seriousness. The second aspect is perspective. Are we persistent in seeking an understanding of what Jesus is saying? You know, again, at that time, there were loads of storytellers. There were loads of magicians trying to do lots of different tricks. And so, you know, for the common man, somebody just looking at Jesus, he could have been somebody who just kind of fit into that category. And we have the same, you know, in our, in our world, you know, people who don't know Jesus, they would maybe go to a psychic or a medium, you know, that is kind of the similar kind of context to what the people were seeing at that time. But what Jesus is saying is you have to understand my stories are different. They have a deeper meaning and you have to be persistent in seeking out that meaning. Persistence in understanding what he means. Persistence in implementing what those parables are saying. And persistence in following him only. The third aspect of the kind of context of this question 
is a perception or awareness of what's going on in these parables. Jesus knew that there was a simplicity in these parables. He knew that they were a stepping stone into explaining some of the harder truths of the kingdom of God. But he didn't use them just to make people think of them as shallow tales or simplistic meanings. But he was wanting people to understand and to apply them, and not just to understand them kind of cognitively, but to actually apply them into their life, to have an awareness of what that meant for them day in, day out. And so with that context in place, the question that we can ask ourselves this morning is where are we in terms of our individual response to this parable? Because if I'm completely honest with you, I can't remember the last time I sat down and just did a bit of heart work with God in terms of the context of this parable and thought, what is my heart like? What is my kind of soil like if we're to use that metaphor? You know, where, where does my heart lie? Is it cultivated? Or is there a whole bunch of weeds in there? Is there a whole bunch of rocks in there? I haven't thought about that for a while. So when I was in this passage, I was like, ooh. <laughs> Sometimes the simplistic, you know, um, parables that we so easily kind of skim through because we know it are actually the ones that we should be asking ourselves regularly. And so Jesus is speaking in the context of the whole farm. As the farmer scatters its seeds, some of it falls in different areas. And that can be so true in our own lives. We can hear God's word, his truth, and his promises, and it can fall in different areas of lives, of our lives. And it's not necessarily that we're all one, you know, our whole life is just good soil, or our whole life is just the rocky place, <clears throat> or our whole life is covered in weeds. Often it's a mixture of all of those things. You know, we can soak up God's truths and promises because we have been cultivating that in our lives. We have been spending time in his word and his presence. And so when we hear that, it's, it goes in and it roots in and it embeds. But sometimes, you know, we miss some of the, the seed that is sown because Satan, uh, um, at the end of the day, is prowling. He is there to rob, to steal, and to destroy. And sometimes we just let the guard down, and we don't allow Jesus to be our protector in those moments. And Satan does come and rob and steal and destroy some of God's truths and his promises. Sometimes we can lose some of the seed that is sown because of things that have just built up in our life. Maybe it's pain or disappointment or resentment or bitterness or unforgiveness, whatever it is, they become almost those stones that stop God's truth and his promises from taking root. And some of us, you know, just in different seasons, you know, busyness of life, trying to get from A to B as fast as possible without as much problems, you know, we can just miss God's truth because we're distracted by everything around us and not fixing our eyes on Jesus. And so in all seasons, we can be each type of the soil, but the important question to ask this morning is where are we at? What is our heart and our mind um, like in context of this passage? And I believe that implementing the three aspects of the question, you know, are we serious about what Jesus is saying to us? Are we persistent in seeking his understanding? And are we um, fully aware of what that means for us? That can be instrumental in us seeing our lives be ones of rich soil, regularly cultivated in his word and his presence, that ultimately we would see great harvests reaped from what has been sown. So that is the question. 
second thing is the signpost. I'm just going to grab a drink. This parable, I think, is faceted in multiple ways. But in one sense, is there an opportunity to look at oneself? And so we've kind of done that a little bit. We've asked that question, you know, where are we at in terms of our own heart and mind condition before the Lord? But on the other hand, there's this other facet, and it's the outworking of the parable. And right in the middle of this story, there's this teaching moment where the disciples ask Jesus, you know, what's all of this about? And so he stops and he gives them this teaching moment. And whilst this point maybe isn't hugely uh, application-based, there is this teaching moment for us as well. It says in verse 10, When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside everything is said in parables, so they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Yikes. (laughs) At first reading, you think, well, what's the point? (laughs) You know, if folk are only going to hear the story and not get it and just turn away and do their own thing, then what is the point in saying it in the first place? I'm going to show you a bunch of um, signs from across the world. And these signs and symbols mean lots of different things. Can you see that there? Oh, there we go. And so first of all, we have the acorn. And for those in, like, kind of Scandinavian traditions and maybe more so in Viking times, the acorn was a big thing because if you were to have that in your home, then hopefully it would protect you from lightning storms and the Norse god Thor. Um, the other symbol is uh, our sign is a cricket. And uh, if you are maybe of an Asian culture or of... Um, a Native American culture, then a cricket is a sign of um, like someone protecting your home, and it's really bad to kill a cricket. So if you're ever in um, Asia or in Native American uh, reserves, then don't kill a cricket. Uh, third one, the scarab beetle. Uh, some of you may realize, um, <clears throat> but it was heavily popular in Egyptian tradition. Again, a symbol and a sign of fertility and um, of kind of transformation. And so, again, this would be worn uh, a lot by Egyptian women. And then, finally, we have the four-leaf clover, something maybe is a little bit more known in our context and in our culture. Uh, if you see that, then hopefully that will bring you luck. Obviously, we don't believe in luck, but uh, it's not the point. Um, <laughs> so there's just a few signs and symbols And the point is that some of them we know them and some of them we wouldn't. If we were in Asia and we saw a cricket and we killed it, then we wouldn't know what that actually meant. (laughs) And um, Jesus is kind of giving us the code. He's giving us like the, the symbols and the signposts to understanding the parables. And Jesus is saying that to the disciples that not everyone will know what the parable means because ultimately they don't know the code. They don't know ultimately who he is. Up until this point, Jesus hasn't outright said he is the son of God. And he's even bound up demonic spirits and he's told them not to say who he is. And the disciples have only really just begun their journey of beginning, uh, beginning to understand who he is. Beginning to understand that there's something different to him because they've literally left everything and followed him. And one of the scholars, <clears throat> a man named Cranfield, who wrote in a commentary in this section, explains it like this. He did a lot better than I did. The incarnate word is not obvious. 
Only faith could recognize the Son of God in the lowly figure of Jesus of Nazareth. The secret of the kingdom of God is the secret of the person of Jesus. So to clarify, the parables alone are not enough. This is what Jesus is saying. It's only if they're responded to with faith in Jesus as the Son of God that they take on their true weight and their true meaning. Ultimately, parables in themselves won't produce faith, but rather they're an invitation to faith, as seen in verse 14. You've got the farmer sows the seed. God sows the seed. We share our faith. That's an invitation to faith to those who don't have it. And the parables are indeed the entire gospel. Do not ensure or enforce faith on the reader or the recipient. But that is the nature of God as he allows free will and choice for those to accept him or to deny him. But what is really needed, the code, the signpost when accessing these parables is the very person of Jesus, the Son of God. Who he is, what his presence means for us and for the world, why he is important at the beginning, at the middle, and at the end of every story in the Bible. And without the secret and the mystery of who Jesus is, the Son of God, the parables become quite frustrating and shallow tales just easily dismissed or forgotten by people. And so Jesus is showing that he is the signpost. He is the one who is showing us the way. Rather than at the end of the road, he is the beginning. And so the way, the truth, and the life, just his exact words, showing us the road ahead and giving us the directions to our ultimate destiny, our ultimate destination, our eternity in heaven. And so without that faith in Jesus, the true meaning is lost. Without the signpost, the directions are not clear. I believe that is what Jesus is trying to explain to the disciples in this moment, in this teaching moment. It's really important. Jesus is the signpost. And then finally, we have the directions. Now, it would be really wrong to think that because of the limitations of the parables without people accepting Jesus first, that our effectiveness in mission is therefore limited. Definitely wrong. Jesus uses um, the... um, Oh, what's just gone out of my brain? The numbers (laughs) of 30, 60, and even 100 times in terms of the crop gathered after the farmer sowed his seed. He uses that, and that's quite a big context for the farmers at the time. So people who were in farming would understand that as quite a significant crop yielded after kind of seed just chucked all over the farm. They would see that as huge. They would be blown away by those numbers. And what Jesus is doing is he isn't limiting himself, but rather giving us a signpost to work with and a hope for immeasurably more than we could imagine. And what I love in this parable is the analogy of God as the sower. You know, him, the one, him sowing the seed. And what a farmer would understand is that you don't sow a seed just all over the farm. Like, you don't expect a a farmer just to do that. But you would expect a farmer to cultivate the land first, to work really hard on the land, and then to sow the seed only in that place. 
But what I love about God is he sows it everywhere because regardless of the fact that he knows that people will choose to accept him or deny him, he still loves every single person and he wants to give every single person an opportunity to accept him. I love that about him. And I think that that shows us one of the directions of living this parable out. That everyone is in need of Jesus and the gospel, no matter what state we believe them to be in. And so it can be easy to pick and choose who we share our faith with, you know, depending on a number of different factors. But here God is demonstrating the lavish and unending love of the Father in allowing the gospel to be showered on everyone. And so we should also take that direction. I have um, talked about my grandma a few times, and it probably won't be the last because she's a legend and she's got a whole bunch of stories that I could share. But um, she, when she found out that my mum was pregnant with me, she prayed for me every single day. And she still does pray for me every single day and is praying for uh, my unborn child as well and so um, she just is persistent in that she's like no that is what I want to do I'm going to be a warrior I'm going to pray and uh, so she prayed every day for me uh, as I was growing up and um, as I was little when I'd go to visit her she would take me to her church and she would um, show me kind of the mission stuff that she was involved with and um, would show me different types of worship and it was just really fun and she would explain stories of you know her faith and her father's faith and it was just really fun to be around and um, when I was 14 I remember telling her you know grandma I've become a Christian and she was just so over the moon because after 14 years of praying you know her granddaughter had accepted Jesus into her life and so she was just absolutely thrilled and then um as I like to call it, my wilderness years happened, and uh, there was a few of those. And uh, let's be honest, I wasn't really following Jesus in the way that I should have been. Uh, and my grandma knew about this. I mean, we're super close. And so um, she would just kind of be gently guiding me in the right direction, and she would know kind of where my heart was at. She knew that my soil was not necessarily cultivated and that God you know God's words and and God's promises weren't getting through but yet she remained faithful and she would still send me like little email um, not emails letters um with prayers in <laughs> yeah definitely not emails it's my grandma and um you know, she'd phone me up and say she's praying for me or she would just send me little readings that she had and um she was faithful in that time and I remember when I said you know actually grandma I've decided to recommit I'm gonna get baptized she was just again absolutely thrilled and so so chuffed and even now she's just like I just can't believe you know all those years of praying and now you're you know you're part of a church you're leading a church it's so exciting um but on the flip side of that she's been praying for well over 50 years for her children and for those in her family who still have yet to know and to love Jesus and who are still odds with God and that has caused heartbreak and disappointment and frustration and you know she's still been the same person in all of that you know she still lived her life out um, in the same way whether it's to me who's accepted Jesus or to you know somebody in our family who hasn't accepted Jesus and she's been faithful in each and every moment regardless but I think that one that's one of the things that Jesus is getting at in this parable 
that just as the farmer remains um, kind of persistent and faithful in sowing the seed everywhere, and God remains faithful in giving everyone an opportunity to accept him, so must we. You know, for my grandma, she'd seen great joy in her granddaughter coming to faith. And she'd been obedient in prompting when she felt needed to prompt me. And she also remained obedient in just praying in the quiet. She kind of watched that soil of my heart as it had changed numerously. And she discerned when to say things and when not to say things. But as I said, she has known that disappointment and that hurt. As she's prayed and witnessed faithfully to those around her. And yet they still remain at odds with God still faithfully going in the direction that God has given her to sow the seed to you know, preach the gospel to preach Jesus but not always seeing the fruit of that and I think that highlights that in this parable what Jesus is saying is that ultimately we can't control the gospel or its effects you know the farmer listening to the analogy of this parable knows fine well that despite their skill and their planning and everything that they have done to make sure that the seed takes root and produces a good crop there are other forces at work that determine the fate of that crop the farmer plays a part but only a part and that's the same with us when we play our part in sharing the gospel with Jesus around us and we risk ourselves every single time Like my grandma, we may see success and joy, but we also may see disappointment and failure. But like any journey, like any long journey, you know, like in a car, the waiting can be a little bit frustrating. You know, there's pit stops, there's food breaks, there's toilet breaks, there's children crying, there's breakdowns, there's sawbums, there's everything, traffic, you name it. And it can be like that in life too. That when it comes to sharing our faith for those that we love and those that we care for, those around us, that it can be really frustrating when we don't see anything immediately happen when we're in that waiting place. And as I was preparing for this passage, and uh, my friend texted me out of the blue and just said, I've just been praying and I felt like Jesus just reminded me of this song. And she sent me this song and it was called Take Courage by Bethel. Uh, by a lady called Christine DeMarco. So if you want to Google it, Google it. But I just felt like some of the words did really resonate with me, and I felt like Jesus wanted to share these words with us this morning. And so some of the lyrics are this. Take courage, my heart. Stay steadfast, my soul. He's in the waiting. He's in the waiting. Hold on to your hope as your triumph unfolds. He's never failing. He's never failing. Sing praise my soul, find strength in joy, let his words lead you on. Do not forget his great faithfulness, he'll finish all he's begun. And I love that because when we talk about invitation, when we talk about bringing friends or, you know, inviting colleagues to different things, you know, maybe that's, you know, like our city women or our city men or as Chuck just mentioned, you know, our alpha course, that can bring a whole bunch of excitement and expectancy for lots of people. They're like, yes, I can't wait to invite that person. Last time I invited someone, they became a Christian. It was great. And, you know, so we have those moments. We have people sat in our seats who are filled with excitement and expectation. But when we also speak about invitation, there will be also people who are filled with dread, (laughs) who think, actually, do you know what? I just can't take another disappointment. I can't take another invitation that's thrown back in my face. 
I just felt like for those people who are in the latter category, my prayer this morning is that God's courage and his steadfastness would be ministered today. That that hurt would begin to heal. That that disappointment would begin to shift and that renewed hope of his faithfulness and his promises would begin to seep in. Because what I believe that God is saying to us today is that his words are our direction. His truth is our guide. We have been given the code that is Jesus as a signpost. And he is the key for people understanding what we as Christians have accepted. But all we can do is partner in sharing that with people and discerning with God where they are at. Because at the end of the day, if we're looking, you know, in the context of this passage, you know, we can begin to discern where people are at. We can begin to kind of fine-tune how we bring Jesus into situations that we don't just bulldoze our way in, but we begin to act with sensitivity, that we begin to act prayerfully. Lord, show me the direction that you want me to take with this person. Help me to discern what you're asking me to say and to do, and importantly, what not to say and what not to do. I'll end on this from Paul in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 5. Your faith, then, does not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. I love that. Your faith, then, does not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Because in all of this, in this invitational culture, we have to step out. That's going to take risk. And sometimes that means going back to God and asking him to heal the hurt when we've had disappointments. But we want to be invitational people. We want to be people who always ask those around us, do you want to come to this or do you want to come to that? Let me show you Jesus in my life. But importantly, we have a God of the immeasurably more, who loves his people and his heart breaks for those who don't yet know him. And in his power, we will see our city transformed. In his power, we will see his kingdom come. And in his power, we will see lives renewed and families restored, people set free. And as we're praying, this building filled time and time and time again. That is our prayer. That is our promise from God. And so as we go out this morning, as we look at this parable, maybe it's with fresh eyes, let us ask the question, where are we at? Are we serious? Are we persistent? Are we perceptive with where we are? Jesus is the signpost. Let's never forget that truth and our direction. Jesus is our direction. So let's be inviting our friends. Let's be asking God for healing where it's hurt. And let's see a whole bunch of people come to faith. Why don't we stand?